Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. going to go into our Bible reading. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, there are some on the end of the aisle and you're free to take them home with you uh, as our gift to you. Reading out of the New International Version, we're in the book of Genesis chapter 11. If you want to follow along with me on the screen or in your Bible, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing uh, they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel or Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Great to be gathered together in church this morning and opening up God's word. Today is not the beginning of the end, but it is the end of beginnings. Uh, We've been doing a series in Genesis called Beginnings. And today is the last week. We've been focusing on Genesis chapter 1 to 11. And so today is the last week on the current season series, and we'll come back to it in time. The passage we're looking at today, you'll notice if you've looked at some of the context in your own time, that it's jam-packed between two genealogies. In chapter 10, we have what is called the Table of Nations, and it represents the expansion of humankind from the descendants of Noah after the flood and focuses on the lines of his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The second genealogy in the second half of chapter 11 traces the line of Shem all the way through to Abram, uh, later to to be known as Abraham, who becomes a really important person in biblical history. And that starts at Genesis chapter 12. But in between these two genealogies, we find today's passage, which we know as the Tower of Babel. Now, if you hear someone saying that that bloke babbles on and on and on and on, Um, you'll now know where it comes from. It has biblical origin. Usually you hear that sentence in the context of people talking about my preaching. And um, if you hear that from now on, you'll know that the origin is biblical. And when it comes to my preaching, it's probably also true. But the word Babel or Balal in the Hebrew means to confuse language. And that's what the Tower of Babel is known for. But hopefully today I won't babble too much because this story is a significant one. And there's a lot of stuff in it that we can learn and apply to our everyday lives. The passage has two clear parts. The first part really focuses in on the problem of human pride. And the second part of the passage is a great reminder of the sovereignty of God. And so I want to start by looking at human pride in the first part of the passage. Human pride 
has been a major issue ever since the moment that Adam and Eve took the fruit in Genesis chapter 3 that God had asked them not to take because they wanted to become like God. It's so easy for unhealthy pride to creep into our lives. I think you know that, I know that. It's so easy for that kind of pride to come in to our lives on a regular basis. Now, I'm not talking about healthy pride. Uh, This week on Facebook, you would have seen a whole bunch of people posting stuff, and it said something like zero, dot, 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 and proud, or one, dot, 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 and proud. Now, I thought I'd get in on the act, and so I wrote 37, dot, 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 and proud, um, but my daughter told me that was wrong, and so I then posted 6,347,223, dot, 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 and proud, but apparently I was still wrong. Um, and so um, what, I, what I learnt later on is it was something about breast cancer, and somehow by posting zero and proud, I think zero or one represented how many tattoos you had, dot, 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 and proud. I'm still confused as to how that raises awareness for breast cancer, but somehow it did. So um, we've all made a difference this week, which is really great. But Cheryl posted, um, she's not here today, but she posted zero and proud, and I was in a bit of a cheeky mood. So I just posted under her status, I said, pride comes before a fall. And uh, she reminded me that there's two kinds of pride. There's healthy pride and unhealthy pride, and of course she's right. There's nothing wrong with being proud of your family and your friends, uh, some of your achievements. I'm proud of you as a congregation. Um, there's nothing wrong with that kind of pride. It's okay as long as the glory for all of those things ultimately goes to the one who enables us and gives us to do those things. And so I'm talking about the unhealthy pride today, the kind of pride where we take all the credit for things in our lives and we fail to acknowledge God. Matthew chapter 23 says, God exalts the humble and he humbles the proud. I'm really grateful that God taught me this lesson when it comes to preaching really early on. In fact, I think I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again today. The first time I ever spoke in a church was around communion, a little bit like what Pete did a few moments ago. And the pastor of the church had asked me to lead a five to seven minute talk around the Lord's Supper. And it was a pretty big deal at that stage. It was a big deal because it was a big church. So there was hundreds of people. It was a big deal because I'd never spoken in front of a crowd before. It was a big deal because usually the only the pastors in that church did communion. And so it was uh, one of those moments when I was asked that I was really excited and absolutely terrified at the same instant. And so I was given a month to prepare this five to seven minute talk. And I remember that month, every waking moment, all I could think about was that communion talk. And so I'd be studying hard and I'd be looking into it and I'd be wrestling with it and I'd be trying to work out what to say around the Lord's Supper. And I reckon in that month, I prayed like I'd never prayed before. Dear Lord, help me. Help me not to make a fool of myself. Dear Lord, help me to communicate what you want me to communicate. Dear Lord, I can't do it without you. And these prayers were all very genuine. I was terrified. And so I was praying, Lord, help me with this. And so I got to the day when I got up to share communion and I got up and in my humble opinion, it went pretty well. Is that humble? I don't know. Probably not. But it went pretty well. All the, all the feedback was overwhelmingly positive and the pastor must have thought it was okay too because he said, um, Luke, would you do it again in a month's time? So the process started again. The stress, the study, the panic, uh, the prayer. Uh, the only difference this time is I think the prayer was more of a token gesture. Because the first time I did it, it went really well. And so I'm thinking the second time, it's going to be even better. I'm going to knock it out of the ballpark. I'm thinking about like a world tour. Uh, and, and I'm thinking this is easy. 
Uh, I'll be a senior pastor in no time. This is a breeze. And so even though I was saying the same prayers, Lord, help me, deep down I'm thinking, I've got this. And so I stood up to present the second communion message. And it ended up being one of the most humiliating moments of my life. I had no flow. I lost my place. I swear one stage I looked at the page and it was like the words were swimming on the page. I just couldn't find out where I was. Uh, I didn't know where to go. I just froze and I felt like crawling under the pulpit crying and never coming out again. It was so bad that two years later when I started working at that church and I preached my first sermon, a lady came up to me and she said, Luke, when you preached today, that was fantastic. I was really surprised because I remember that communion talk you did a couple of years ago. It was so bad that it was memorable. People would never forget it. Uh, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Um, And so I, I really learned there that any gifts that we have, any abilities we have, we only have them because God gives them to us. And we can't actually do them apart from him. And so we need to give him all the glory. God exalts the humble and he humbles the proud. And so our job is to humble ourselves. And God's job is to exalt the humble. But if we take God's job, guess what he does? He takes our job. And as I learned that day, he does it much more thoroughly than what we do. And so better to humble yourself than to be humbled by God. And so humility is an incredibly important thing. But in this story... That's exactly what we see. We see a group of people trying to exalt themselves and the end result is that God humbles them. It starts in verse 1, of course. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in China, uh, some translations say Babylonia, and they settled there. Uh, What we're reading about is, is quite important. The geography is quite important because it's the commencement of a city known as Babylon. In chapter 10, we read of one of Noah's son. His name was Ham, which I think is a pig of a name. And he had a son called Cush, which sounds really comfortable. He had a son called Nimrod that sounds a bit like a vintage car. And Nimrod grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. And one of the centers of his kingdom in Genesis chapter 10, verse 10, the previous chapter, was Babylon. The Bible dictionary says that Babel or Babylon throughout its history became a symbol of the pride of mankind and their inevitable fall. Biblical writers from this point use Babylon as kind of like a a symbol of pride and wickedness. And as the Bible story kind of develops and morphs, Babylon becomes a representation of the Antichrist. And in Revelation chapter 18, verse 21, we read about the conclusion of this city, Babylon. It says, with such great violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. And so it's an earthly kingdom built on pride, which one day will come to an end when Christ returns and the kingdom of God is established in all of its glory, in all of its fullness, and for all eternity. And so what we see in this city is what we should avoid in our lives under all circumstances. And as you drill down to find out the core root of the problem, what you'll find is the core root of the problem in Babylon was their pride. And we'll see that their pride manifests its way in the three passages in three ways. In speech, in their actions, and in their disobedience. And so first of all, it manifests in their speech in verse 3. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. You'll notice that their speech is full of pride. There's no humility. 
There's no mention of God. There's no praise of him whatsoever. In fact, it communicates a prideful independence from God. It's all about us and me and my and ours. And no mention of God whatsoever. Listen to the language again. Come, let's make bricks. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Their pride manifested in their speech, but it also manifested in their actions. If you look at verse 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. All the people are gathering together. All the people are combining their resources and they want to use all of their actions and all their skills and all their abilities for their own glory. All this collective collaboration and the entire motivation is revealed in verse 4. So that we may make a name for ourselves. They want to build a reputation, create a lasting tower that reaches to the heavens as a memorial of their greatness. Their rebellious, uh, rebelliousness, rebelliousness is actually communicated in that statement. Let us make a tower that reaches to the heavens. The third way that their pride manifests is in their disobedience. Verse 4, then they said, come let ourselves, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. And then it says, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, if you're a parent here, you'll remember times in your life when you're speaking to your kids and you ask them to do something and the answer you get is no. Uh, We can all remember that. And that's kind of frustrating, but it's even more frustrating when they not only say no, but they do the exact opposite of what you are asking them to do. I had this experience yesterday in our household. One of our children, who will remain nameless, um, was asked to help with the dishes. And she said, no, I can't, I'm eating. At which stage she put her hand in the packet of chips and she started scoffing them into her face. This, of course, was a strategy to demonstrate that she was not able to help because she was eating. At which stage I foiled her plot and said, put the chips back in the packet. Mental note, if you come to our house, do not eat our chips. And so she put the chips back in the packet and I said, wash the dishes. In which point she finally did. But this is exactly what's happening in this passage. God's asked them to do something. They're saying no, and they're doing the exact opposite to what God's asked. Doing the exact opposite. They're disobeying God's will and plan for their lives. I want you to take note that God expressed his plan for humanity to Adam and Eve and also to Noah after the flood and later to Abram. They were called to be a group of people who expanded and scattered. God uses the language, be fruitful multiply in number, increase and fill the earth. Uh, When he talks to Abram a bit later on, he uses different languages about making them a great nation, that their descendants will be as as many as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. They're to go and to be a blessing, to be blessed, to be a blessing. God created them in his image and the purpose was that they would scatter into the world and that his image would be multiplied that his character would be multiplied in all creation and glory would come to him. And yet look at the motivation for their building. It was not just to make a name for themselves, but it was to avoid being scattered over the face of the whole earth. God's plan was deliberately and proactively being opposed. And instead of scattering, they were now building a city where they would be self-sufficient. 
And you know, as I have grown up over the years, I have watched churches, and many churches act in a very similar way. We can often try and, um, instead of going and making disciples, we kind of settle, um, settle to gather, and, and many churches become possessive. These are our people and our stuff, and, and we're going to stay here, and we're going to get comfortable, and we're going to get bigger here, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. And yet the, the purpose of God has always been to, to gather, to, to be encouraged and built up in our faith so that we can scatter. Scatter, go to different places where the gospel's not heard. Go and scatter and share the gospel with, with friends. And so our mission is to, um, to train and to send, to raise up and to release. At the moment, our elders are starting a process of, of talking about what is the vision of Follow Baptist Church for the, for the next year and the next five years. And, and we'll bring our congregation into that as well, the membership of the church. And we're trying to think about what is God calling us to be as a church and one of the things he's always going to call us to is to gather and to scatter, to do both of those things, to gather for encouragement, but then to scatter. And so our future will include things like church planting, because we want to take the gospel where people aren't hearing it right now. And God is going to use us to do that. And that's something we should be incredibly excited about. And we should be radically generous towards, to go and plant, to spread and share the gospel for the glory of God. And yet these people refused. Instead, they wanted to settle, get comfortable, and make a name for themselves. To sum it up, they wanted to be like God, and they wanted to do things their own way. As I said before, this has been an issue for a long time, ever since that first deception in the garden, where the serpent convinced Adam and Eve that if they ate that fruit, they would become like God. And really, it's the height of all arrogance, isn't it? To think that we could be like God. The Bible does say that pride comes before a fall. That's true in our lives, and it's also true in this story. And so the question becomes, how do we avoid unhealthy pride in our lives? If this is one of the main issues of Babylon, and we want to avoid being like that city, how do we avoid unhealthy pride in each of our lives? And the passage answers the question by focusing on the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. And if we don't remind ourselves of his sovereignty on a regular basis, then he will. And that's exactly what happened at Babel. This week I was watching a video on Facebook. There was a video of a young lady. She was laying down on her back in grass. And as she laid there, the video started to zoom out. And at first you could just see her from an elevated position. Then it kept zooming and zooming and zooming until you could see her neighborhood and her suburb and her um, you know, her town and her city and her country. And then it kept going till you could see the, the map of the world. And then it kept zooming out. You could see the moon and the sun and the stars and the asteroids and the planets. And then down the bottom, it said 10 million kilometers from Earth. And then it kept going. And it said 100 million kilometers from Earth. One light year, 10 light years, a thousand light years. And as I watched this video, I was, I was in awe about a minute and a half into it to think, wow, God is so incredibly big. He's massive. And then just as I was thinking that, the video at the halfway point actually zoomed back in. And it went all the way back in, all the way down to this lady. But instead of stopping at her, it went inwardly into her eye. And so all of a sudden you could see her iris. And you could see her pupil and her retina. And it went further and further down till you could see the white blood cells and the red blood cells. You could see the DNA and the chromosomes and the fibers, the double helix, the neutron, the proton. And in three minutes, you could see the infinite and the intricate, the massive and the minute. And we need to remind ourselves that God holds it all together. 
That's how big he is. God is sovereign. And so to think that we could be like God, who created all of that, is absurd. And yet that's precisely what they're doing. God had a plan. They said, no way, we're going to do it our way. And I've got to say that I don't think the world around us today is any less arrogant. People say they don't want God. They don't need God. They don't even believe in God. Many in the world, even us at times, think that we know what's best for our lives. Many in the world um, disobey God in so many ways. We know the ultimate truth when it comes to gender or marriage or creation or what's right and what's wrong. God's word is seen as outdated and primitive and irrelevant. And yet watching that video reminded me that, that God is so big and I am not. And so who are we to question God or think that we could know best for our own lives? The people at Babel had lost sight of the sovereignty of God. And so God in his sovereignty responds to each of the three areas of their human pride. First of all, he addresses their speech. Now you'll see in the passage up until this point of the story, all of the speeches happen between the people of the city. But now the conversation shifts and the conversation happening now is within the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Verse 6, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Verse 7, come, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. And God looks at what's happening on earth as they gather together and he sees that their speech is powerful. They've been using their speech to build one another up and to, to you know, exercise their pride and to get this collective effort together. And their speech has been a big part of that. So God acknowledges that their speech is powerful, but then in an instant shows that he is sovereign, even over their speech. God sees that their collaborative effort is a deliberate rebellion against him, and he ponders out what else they might do to destroy their own lives and to rebel against God and to destroy creation. And so with the flick of a switch, he confuses their language. It's because God is sovereign. Can you imagine the moment? when you're building on this, working on this building site and you're working towards this massive tower, the biggest tower anyone had ever seen. You're going to reach to the heavens with this little thing and, and, and you know, you can just imagine the foreman John and he says, Mario, pass me the trowel and then all of a sudden Mario just looks at him confused and he says, mozzarella, ciao, arrivederci and John's like, Mario, we, we've got lots to do, mate. It's not time to stuff around. And he just keeps babbling along. So he says, oh, forget it. And then he, he yells out. He says, Carlos, you pass me the trowel. And he says, yo no comprehendo. Uh, adios, amigo. And then he, he's getting angry. And so he looks at his most reliable guy, a, a big guy like John Z. His name's Arnold. And he says, Arnold, come here. You give me a lift for this stuff. And he says, hasta la vista, baby. You know, like, I'm very fluent with my languages. You can see it's quite impressive. But in an instant, the entire project is thrown into turmoil because God does one thing. He confuses their speech. All the collaboration, all the power of their speech, the greatest of their technological achievement, which at this stage was the brick. It's amazing, isn't it? All of their incredible, ingenious plans, the brilliance of humanity shut down in an instant by a God who is Lord of all, a God who is sovereign. And it's a reminder in the passage that God is God and we are not. The second thing he addresses is their actions. They're going full steam ahead, building this rebellious tower, and they're trying to build this tower to the heaven. And I can just imagine them getting higher and higher and kind of yelling out, are you there, God? Hey, we're nearly there, guys. Keep building. 
we're going to be up to heaven in no time. And it's quite ironic in verse 5 because it says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. It's not like God was in heaven thinking, strike, they're getting close. (laughs) They're going, we'll show God how great we are. And I can imagine him coming down and looking at it and going, oh, isn't that cute? Uh, you know, oh, that's awesome. It's like Lenny trying to build a tower to the moon with his Lego. And it's absolutely gorgeous, but it's pathetic at the same time. <laughs> because it's just completely impossible. And so God confuses their language. And in verse 8, this is what it said. And they stopped building the city. It's a reminder that God is God. And we are not. It then addresses their disobedience. They've already made a decision. They're not going to scatter. They're going to gather and they're going to build a name for themselves. They're going to build this city and they're going to stay right where they are. But God confuses their language. He stops their actions and in verse 8 it says, The Lord scattered them from there all over the earth. It's a reminder that God is God and we are not. So what's the application of all this for our lives today? Well, the first application is this, that we are called to be people who honour God with our speech. Some people are in the habit of always telling others everything they've done, everything they can do. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. And I'm I'm amazing. And they tell everyone, I don't know whether it's from insecurity or or incredible pride. But that's the kind of language that we hear in Babylon. It's not the kind of language that should roll off our tongues as Christians. Because what it does is it takes hold of the glory that's designed for God and it heaps it on ourselves. We're called to be reflectors. That when people praise us and keep praising us, then we reflect it back to the one who gives us our very next breath. God has given us his powerful gift of speech. So the question for each of us today is, do we use it to lift up ourselves or do we use it to praise Jesus? Is it positive or negative? Is it faithful or is it fearful? Is it divisive or is it uniting? Is it boastful or humble? Is it harmful or is it missional? We've been given this weapon of speech. Do we use it as a weapon of mass destruction or do we use it as a weapon of mass construction for the kingdom of God? The book of Proverbs says the power of life or death is in the tongue. So I want to encourage each of us to choose life and use our speech not to honour ourselves but to honour God. The second application is in our actions. And the question that I'd like to leave us with from this particular application point is, is what is the motivation of our hearts? We know the motivation of their hearts. It was to make a name for themselves, to avoid doing what God had asked them to do. But what's the motivation of our hearts? We can go down to the Blessed Collective two nights a week and feed the homeless. We can serve pancakes, which we've heard about this morning at Officer Secondary. We can hand out welcome packs in our region. We can love our neighbour. We can donate to charity. We can do all these things that in and of themselves are good things. But if the motivation is to make a name for ourselves... We're completely missing the point. And one day we'll give an account for that because we may be able to fool each other, but we can't fool God. And follow our visions, Jesus. And our mission is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. And so we've got to remind ourselves to use our actions for his glory, whether that's in our career, in our family, in our friendships, in our workplace, at our schools, in our universities. The question we ask ourselves each and every day when we wake up is, how can I honour God today, not just with my words, but with my actions as well? Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God in both word and deed. The third application, of course, is obedience. 
These people were disobedient. We're called to be obedient. You know that there's no one in this room that God doesn't have a plan and purpose for. And the majority of that plan and purpose has been revealed to us in his word. And so the purpose of our lives is to live into obedience to what God has asked us to do. At times it'll be difficult. At times it will require great sacrifice and courage and boldness and obedience and incredible love. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do all things in Christ. You know, so many people search their entire lives looking for something that will bring a sense of purpose, uh, belonging, meaning. They want to make a difference, and yet we look in all the wrong places. The truth is the only way we'll ever find that here on earth is that when we're living in the center of God's will. That's where we find the sweet spot, when we're living to please Christ. In this passage today, what's happening is reversed at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. At Babel, a group of people were building a tower to heaven to make a name for themselves, rebelling against God. God confused their language and scattered them to their own tribes. But at Pentecost, we see the, the end of Babel, really, and the beginning of a new humanity, where God uses language. And instead of using language to divide as a barrier to man's mission of self-glorification, language in the gift of tongues was used to unite so that everyone heard the gospel in their own tongues. So instead of Jesus, uh, God coming down in judgment, he came down to us to give us his spirit. And now instead of people gathering in one location to make their own name great, we are called to scatter all over this region and all over this earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit to make his name great and not ours. God invites us to join his mission. But if we choose not to, it'll happen anyway. That's sovereignty. That's what God does. But I want to stand before him one day and I don't want to say, I'm sorry, I had more important things to do. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy what I've prepared for you. That should be the goal of our lives, to be people who are obedient. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we've seen God's sovereignty over and over again. We've seen people rebel against it over and over again in the account of the creation, in the account of the flood here in Babylon. Over and over again, mankind have pridefully rebelled. But I want to finish by saying today that God's sovereignty is not something to be resisted, but rather to be embraced. I love the fact that God's sovereign. I love the fact that he's holding all this together. I love the fact that he's in control. I love that when we pray to God, we pray to a God who not only created all things, but can do all things. I love the fact that when we come to God, that same God who is all powerful, who's created all things, is also the same God who wants relationship with us. And he promises that he's working all things together for good for those who love him. And so may we be a group of people, individually, also as a church, who resist our pride, acknowledge him, and submit ourselves to the sovereignty of God.